This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach, and I am fascinated by career stories and challenges. And my new book is called Find Your Happy at Work. It's about creating success and satisfaction on the job and in your life. Today, we're discussing one thing with surprising power to drag you down in your work and your life, and that is sitting down. What we're really talking about is sitting down way too much. Our guest is Stefan Zavalin. He's a doctor of physical therapy, and he is passionate about movement and health. And he's the author of a new book called Sit Less. Stefan will explain why too much sitting is really bad for you, even if you do hit the gym regularly. And we'll talk about how you can improve your productivity and well-being by getting up and moving around. Stefan, today we're going to really focus in on the importance of not sitting all day long and how moving more is really good for you. But before we get into all of that, I'm really um, interested in uh, your career path. We're always interested in our guest uh, career stories, but it sounds like you went through a lot of hurdles as you um, reached the stage of getting your PhD and starting your company. Would you like to kind of give us your background and tell us about your story? Absolutely, because it's it's a very interesting one, and it's it's been a roller coaster to say the least. In general, with everything that I do, I've loved movement the vast majority of my life. And I got my undergrad in kinesiology, which is effectively exercise science, which inevitably led me to this idea of, oh, I should do a grad school. Or more correctly, my parents sort of forced me into getting a grad school education. But I enjoyed it, and I thought physical therapy was amazing. I never knew people could do it, and I thought it was great. So I wanted a physical therapy. And it was the first semester of physical therapy school that I got a little bit of a discomfort in my eye, didn't know what it was. To make a long story short, I kept on going to the doctors. We basically kept on misdiagnosing it for about three or four months until we found that it was a parasite that was in my eye. To give a little context there, I was very lucky to where the parasite got into my one good eye because my other eye, the optic nerve was damaged from birth. So there I was, my one good eye pretty much not functioning in a whole lot of pain. And the school, and this was Arcadia University, they were fantastic with working with me to catching me up, giving me a year off and just finding the times to make up modules and and whatnot. And so over the next year, it was an intensive treatment of all of that. And just just trying to get to the, the light at the end of the tunnel, pardon the horrible pun, but finally getting to this point of, okay, I finished grad school, I got my doctorate, I want to go into the clinic, and I actually want to treat patients. And by that point, due to all the surgeries and everything, my vision was low, but technically not legally blind. I couldn't drive, but I didn't really let that stop me. Wonderfully, Uber and Lyft have have been a, a great kind of tool for me to get around. And as I started treating people, I, I had this passion for movement. I knew that it was good for us. 
But I inevitably, after a year or two, started noticing a pattern that I would help somebody, they'd feel better, they'd do the exercises, they'd come back a year later, same issue. And I knew that it was them probably sitting or something they were doing at work or at home that was usually the issue. Not as, as much as we want to think, oh, they twisted an ankle or they tore a rotator cuff or whatever it may be. It was usually these repetitive things that we do throughout the day. So I tried addressing it. I tried to talk to them and say, can you change this? Can you adjust your desk? What can, what can we do there? And some would. Most wouldn't even talk to their employer to see if they could get a little bit of time to move around. And so I, I finally thought, okay, I, I need to start reaching out to more people. Doing this one-on-one -on -one with patients, this is not going to make the change that I want because I, I want to change the culture on a much larger magnitude. And so I started the company. And right when I kind of started developing it all, I got COVID. And right around that time, I also finally, my vision was slowly declining. I finally got the full diagnosis of that's it. You are legally blind completely. Um, and that's it. So it was a, a, two pretty heavy hitting uh, things. But interestingly enough, that combination really made me go, I have nothing to lose. At this point, I was sort of struggling in the clinic because of my vision. They weren't really giving me accommodations. And so I said, you know, I'm just going to go for it. I'm, I'm going to get out of the clinic and start this business full on by myself. And I am very thankful because my wife was very supportive of me and we had just gotten married and she said, yep, I'll, I'll support us financially and you can just start all of this uh, from scratch. And so I dove into it and I've just been so passionate about starting those conversations about reducing the movement in the workplace. And that is a pretty short version of many, many years. Well, I know that there were um, all kinds of chapters because I, th I think you were, were you born in Russia or did I imagine that? I was born in Russia. You're absolutely right. I moved, uh, I moved over here when I was seven. So you've had um, quite a few uh, interesting uh, parts of, uh, of your life, and I'm sure they've uh, helped you become a sort of a, a, a passionate and um, creative practitioner on, on, on these issues that you're addressing. I understand physical therapy uh, because I've had some and everybody I know seems to be having it now. But um, tell me about what your company does. You're focusing on the culture of movement in organizations, right? But what does that mean on a day-to-day -day basis? How do you help? Sure. Um, and this is where I, I just also want to make the, the reasoning why I focus on culture as opposed to just environment or ergonomics. I initially, when I first started, thought, oh, it'll be ergonomics. Many companies have an ergonomics team, when you ask the employees, a lot of them haven't heard from the ergonomics team since their first day when they set up their desk and that, that was it, which begs the question of maybe there's more that ergonomics teams uh, could do to help them. But I knew that I could go in and maybe even just tell people, hey, sitting is bad. You should get up. Here are some exercises. Here are ways you can change your activities. Great. But they are less likely to do it. I tell people constantly to stand up during Zoom meetings, and when they look around and nobody else is doing it, then they're, they're not going to do it. If we change how the team behaves and that it's accepted by the whole team and the culture of the company that, yes, we are having frequent movements throughout the day, here are ways that we're going to adapt our meetings or possibly adapt some of the work tasks that we're doing, you're more likely to do it. 
So as opposed to just being told, hey, this is good for you, the company says, we're facilitating this to make sure that you have the ability to do it. And a lot of what my role in it is, is finding how do we make sure that we individualize it to each company? Because certain companies and in those companies, certain individuals are going to have different things that they can or cannot do. We're now going remote and hybrid. And the majority of companies, I think, going forward for desk jobs are going to be hybrid or remote. So you can't change your office layout. Each person has their individual office. So it's going in there and working with them individually and kind of coaching them through. Here's how you work on your habits to make sure that you're standing up. And let's, how do we rearrange your office so that it works for you, even though you don't have the best desk in the world, the best chair in the world. And so it's a lot of this kind of mentoring and almost coaching that goes on. Well, let me back up a little bit because we should, as a culture, recognize that sitting all day is not healthy and it's not good for productivity. But the fact of the matter is, I think it's information that many people have not taken in. So let's start with some basics here. Why is it that sitting all day long or you know, for three or four hours at a time is not good for your health? If, say, you go to the gym and for 30 minutes every day, why do you still need to worry about sitting? As a, it's a beautiful question because I, I get that one a lot and, and people thinking that they have, and even people that are healthy, um, the issue that we're talking about here as well is longevity. When we talk about the what's sitting, like what kind of impact it has on us is longevity and our long-term health and how that correlates. So I like to talk about it in, in sort of a timeline. If you were to sit down, what happens to your body? And then what effects can we reverse with the exercise? But then what effects really are too, too chronic that aren't going to be reversed with exercise? So if we take it at a segment, when we first sit down and we sit for about 30 minutes, we've got less blood flowing to our brain. So productivity goes down. Uh, our genes and our muscles are basically thinking, oh, we may start to do muscle breakdown. Muscle breakdown doesn't start, but it's sort of we're starting to develop that idea in our bodies and our abilities to break down fat can drop drastically. So that's just after 30 minutes of sitting. Now, if you get up and move for just a couple minutes, that reverses all of those things. So nothing really to worry about. At about an hour of sitting, we're seeing increased discomfort in most people in most body areas, but usually it's the low back where it happens. Uh, for men, interestingly enough, the low back starts to stiffen up. At two hours of sitting, and this is straight uninterrupted sitting, which some of us do, we basically have increased in the amount of errors that we do, uh, especially whenever we have to have a creative solution. And the increase is something like 50% or more in the errors that we have. And th that's what we're seeing, okay, you're really being impacted in the amount that your body's stiffening up and how your cognition's being affected. But what if we take it all the way to how many hours we sit average in the day? So if we're going for six or more hours in the day, which the US, the average US desk worker sits six and a, uh, 6.9, so almost seven, six or more hours a day increases the likelihood of anxiety and depression. Eight hours or more doubles the risk of cardiovascular disease, which even with the pandemic currently, it was the number one um, cause of death is cardiovascular disease. So it's still very much an important issue and eight hours doubles it. Now that's the part where up to the eight hour mark, you're, you're fine. If you go and you exercise and you have a daily regimented exercise routine, 
wonderful. That will fix all of that. The issue comes in at 11 or more hours. 11 or more hours is where we have an increased risk of premature death by as much as 40%. And in that study, they looked at exercise and it did not seem to change the risk factors. That 40% and all of those things are the, the idea that people sometimes say sitting is the new smoking. That is the huge combination of all those factors that we're sitting. So if we're sitting 13, 14, and some desk workers are easily sitting 15 hours a day, doing half an hour of exercise or even an hour of exercise every single day doesn't really get you under that 11 hour mark. So though you are reversing some of the issues, you're really not having the huge impact on the, the amount that you're sitting because that needs to drop by several hours. That's the long explanation of it. Well, aside from the various serious uh, long-term health issues, there are a lot of reasons that you've kind of mentioned in passing about productivity and creativity and so forth, that if you move around, your brain works better, you're more creative, you're more likely to interact easily with other people. There are a lot of reasons um, to get that movement. And I, you have a, a new book out, Sit Less, which I think is very readable and thoughtful and doesn't preach. And one thing I like about it, if somebody who's really kind of focused on the workplace, is that you tell an interesting story. There's a there's a character who I guess is based on a hybrid of your clients, because that's how I often do it. There's this a character named Alice who's sort of feeling like a, a schlub. I mean, she's just not moving very much and she's a little worried about her weight it sounds like and she starts to address the sitting issue and as time goes along it changes her awareness and that changes her her productivity can you tell us a little bit about Alice's story and how somebody like Alice who's very much like most of us can um, get a new awareness by moving more absolutely I some of my favorite things with with putting together Alice is she is initially based off of actually a, a patient that I used to have, obviously a different name, but there there is some real life evidence to it as well. And yes, I had to obviously shape her to be more relatable um, to us. But my favorite things are she started out with small little things that she changed, but also as she went on, when you read the book, you see that she repeatedly fails that repeatedly she backslides, certain things don't work. Um, and she, she sort of continues on and on and on because that's, that's the reality of it. We're, we cannot be perfect. Everything that we try right away, it, it may not stick. And that's okay. The idea is that you just keep trying and keep on evolving it. And with her, she started with something very simple as standing up for one of her meetings or propping up her feet when she's sitting to reduce the amount that the muscles were pulling at her low back. But eventually it went to the point of she was recognized as, oh, she's kind of the, the leader in a way of the, the person that's moving in the office. And that gave her a little accountability. So that starts bringing in that culture piece of, oh, all of a sudden she was sort of responsible and asked to do a presentation because she was doing this. Now the whole team was aware of, of these small changes and she kept on adding more and more changes and, and sort of educating herself about how she she needed to do that uh, to help herself out. And yet again, she backslid. And then she would have to repeat it and, and find 
other ways for it to work because there were certain things that just didn't work for her and that she couldn't do. And that's fine. I really want readers to understand that there are certain things you won't be able to do that other people love. Uh, the other part about Alice that I, I tried to really put into the book is she starts as an employee and then works her way up into the sort of middle manager position and then influencing more of the, the higher up the C-suite position because the book is meant to be applicable and the story is meant to be applicable to anybody in the company. That's, that's the general part to make sure that you relate to Alice all the way through. Well, Alice changes her mindset. I think that's kind of how she keeps going. She keeps having setbacks and so forth, but she just develops an awareness so that that gives her the, the power to just keep going back, doesn't it? Isn't that kind of the, the mindset about um, the benefits of moving and kind of an optimism that if I do this, I'll feel better and this will be a good break? Isn't, isn't that part of helping people to change their habits? Absolutely. And it's it's a huge part. It's more than people want want to imagine or think about because it's it's about our physical movement, but mindset is nearly everything. It's it's the majority of it. And that's what I work a lot with my clients on is this mindset of how do we progress. And in in her case, she's constantly thinking about this, okay, I know that it's better for me. I know that it's good for me. I have plenty of evidence to know that sitting around hurts my back, doesn't feel good, and doesn't help me necessarily lose weight. What can I do? What can I try? And just because one thing failed, that doesn't mean that there's not another thing. It doesn't mean that was the only answer and that there are many, many approaches and that it's, it's a journey. And that's what Alice is on as a constant journey. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash School. One of the um, things that you point out in the book is that it it is a journey and it can be complicated because you, you keep learning more things. But one of the things is that just standing up for a minute by your desk isn't enough, that the, it's a little more complex than that. So I have a an Apple Watch and it tells me it counts when I've uh, had 12 hours in which I've stood up, I think, for a minute. And so all I have to do, it seems like, for it to, it to trigger that I'm doing the right thing is to just stand up. But what you uh, explain is that there's movement and then there's just standing up and they aren't necessarily the same thing. And there are things you can do in a minute or two um, that can um, kind of help you uh, more than just standing. Can you tell us, can you give us some suggestions of, of what people can do with their their standing breaks. Absolutely. 
I like to break it up into, you can absolutely do exercises. And if you're somebody who like me, that I love exercise, obviously, uh, you can do a stretch. If there's a specific stretch, you know, that benefits you, maybe it is for your low back or your hip flexors getting into a lunge. So you can absolutely do an exercise. The only thing that I would say is I'd rather be a little more dynamic. So you're moving into it back and forth as opposed mm -hmm. to just holding a stretch for the whole minute. Um, most likely just as a small PSA, you probably don't need to stretch your hamstrings. That's, that's probably not the thing. Cause a lot of people like to stand up and then bend forward to touch their toes. You probably don't have to do that quite as much, but you can get up and you can do an exercise. What I like to do, and this is, again, I'm lucky enough to be working remote from home is I usually have small tasks that I have to do. So maybe I have to sweep the kitchen, which takes me two, three minutes. Maybe I just do a couple of dishes. Maybe I fold some laundry, whatever it is. I go do a task. One, it helps maybe take your mind a bit off work, which relaxes you a little bit, but also you're actually moving and accomplishing something. Because if we just add in movements for movement's sake and don't couple them with other tasks, eventually we're just adding too much time. And now we feel that it's taking time away from us. But if you put in tasks that you're going to have to do anyway, like taking out the trash, well, then it's done by the end of the day. And there's an extra thing you can take off your checklist. I think a, a lot of people are, have been doing that during COVID. Uh, people who um, may not have chosen remote work or maybe they're going to do it the rest of their life, but it, there's kind of a freedom to do bits and pieces. And, um, you know, that's a that does seem to be something that my clients talk about doing. There are also people like me who have dogs. And so dogs uh, will not our, my dogs are really good for an hour conversation or maybe two hours, but then they want to move around. So that's something. But I think there are also um, some other reasons in terms of productivity um, to, to get moving. And, and for me, I find that walking is a good way to spark new thoughts. I do a lot of writing and sometimes I'm just staring at the screen and it's like, my mind's a blank. I can't think of anything fresh. But if I can, particularly if I take a dog, if the weather's not too icy, if I take a dog, and I, but I count this as work time, and I just kind of think about it, and I let my mind relax and flow, I find that that walking time um, can be really useful in terms of bringing in new um, ideas. And I, it doesn't have to be you know, outside in the woods, I can just sort of walk in circles around the house sometimes and trigger that. Do you, is that a pretty common thing? Do you find that people uh, discover that just walking can can um, can be good for productivity because it kind of leads to creative thinking? Absolutely, and there's some very interesting and fun research around that as well. So one. Yes, walking is going to increase the amount of blood flow that we have, which we talked about. If you're sitting for more than 30 minutes, you're going to have less blood flowing to the brain. That's going to in, uh, impact creativity. And then if you're sitting more and more, that impacts creativity. But interestingly enough, there's something called the cathedral effect, which has been around for a while. And the cathedral effect uh, essentially talks about the fact that the higher the ceiling we have, um, or the, the bigger, the more open space we have, the more we're able to have more creative thoughts and creative solutions. And then the lower the ceiling, the smaller the space that we have, the more we kind of can do more of the analytical things 
that maybe we just have to do a spreadsheet or something like that kind of work. And so in your case, if you're stuck on a book chapter or you need a creative solution, going outside, you really open up your area and you're really having more of these creative thoughts. And that's also a large part of it is, yes, you're improving your physiology by moving around, but this kind of cathedral effect has a huge impact on it, as well as you're more alert, possibly because of the amount of natural light. Even if you're sitting with a bunch of windows around you, the amount of natural light that goes through windows is significantly less um, and less stimulating for us to be aware, awake, alert than when we actually go outside. So outside for many people is, can be meditative or, you know, it, we do tend to, to have an ability to, to, to bond with nature and we may not be conscious of it, but there could be a calming effect. So there are a lot of reasons to, to walk and, and uh, go outside, but not everybody can do it. And it's not, everybody has different things. Um, are there, what do you think of these apps and other tools to, to try to, um, structure yourself into um, getting some movement if you're not somebody who's likely to kind of spontaneously get up and take a walk? You used a great word, which was tools. That's uh, that's really what I do think of them. I think in the end, they are tools and tools can be very, very helpful, but we shouldn't rely on tools entirely. The reason I say this is um, for example, I have a lot of people that bring up the Apple Watch buzzing every hour. And I also have a lot of them that say, yeah, just ignore it. It is a tool. It is a wonderful tool that reminds you to get up and move. And there are plenty of apps that can send you even the exact exercise that you might need to do for 30 seconds. So you don't even have to think about, oh, what is it that I, how do I do it? It sends you a little video. They're wonderful. They're great if you actually use them. Um, they did a lot of studies on this. And the one that seemed to be the most useful is when people got locked out of their computer screen and so they had to get up. So for a minute or two, they couldn't actually access their desktop. So they had to stand up and do something else and they couldn't even turn it off. If it was for a two month period where they couldn't actually turn the software off so that it, it, it would always interrupt them and they couldn't actually click anywhere else on there. Um, that is very rigorous and it's difficult to do for yourself. It sounds stressful to me. Up. Yes, absolutely. It, it, but it takes some self-discipline. So these apps are wonderful tools, but you do need to develop those habits and that self-discipline for yourself first. And a lot of times the social accountability of the culture and your friends helps. But I like apps. It's just that we have to actually use them as opposed to having them on our phone and never opening them. Well, this sounds like it is one of the things that's easier with a buddy. And that, that could be, I guess, a colleague um, at work, if you're actually in an office, but um, there could be other buddy systems, couldn't there? I'm, I mean, you could like keep a log, or you could share with somebody uh, what your watch tells you you did, or having a creating new habits that are good for you can be tedious, and and you sort of rebel against yourself. You don't even want yourself to trick you into improvement, but if you have friends who are doing it, that can help. So is, is that one of the things you think about with your company, uh, Love to Move, to create a culture where people are finding some fun and, uh, um, you know, making kind of reinforcing each other? Absolutely. And challenges are always when people can see others and can have a, a little bit of competition 
and as well as camaraderie with others, that really helps uh, drastically. To portray this, uh, there was a, a beautiful study that um, they checked hand washing in hospitals. It's been spoken about quite a lot. Um, and they saw that even though the doctors knew what they were supposed to do and all, all the healthcare staff knew what they were supposed to do, about 10% of people were actually doing it. Then what they ended up doing, and they knew they were on camera and they were still only 10% doing it. They then put up a scoreboard to show how many people at each shift were actually doing it. And it went from 10% people doing it to over 90% of people doing it just because there wow. was a scoreboard and they knew that there was a social accountability and they wanted to beat out that other <laughs> shift that was before them or after them. That was it. That's all that they changed. They were still on camera. They knew it. They didn't educate them anymore of it. They just gave them that community piece. Um, and something that I'm working on is having, we have a Facebook group uh, called It's the Love to Move Facebook group um, to help people and to encourage people and to give them some sort of that community. But, and that's, that's wonderful, but companies really need to find how do they create that within their own team. So it can start with very small challenges of, okay, th this 15 minute meeting is going to be a standing only meeting. We're all just going to stand up for it, but it's only 15 minutes. You don't have to stand for an hour. It could be simple things like take a picture doing your favorite exercise or go out to the mailbox and take a picture because maybe you're not going for, you know, a three mile walk, but at least you went outside and that maybe could get you going there. And you can have even virtually all of these accountabilities as long as you're building up that team. And of course, not everybody's going to like it. Maybe not everybody's going to participate. But if you can build up more and more of that culture of acceptance, that's what helps support people. So one way to, to create the culture is to gamify the challenge, to turn it into a game, make it kind of fun, sometimes having rewards or even if they're kind of jokes, that could be really um, a good way to, to get something going, you know, create a game that's, that seems appropriate for the situation. Well, we are just about out of time, but let's say we have a listener out there who hadn't really focused on the thought that um, sitting all day long uh, is maybe contributing to health issues or concerns they have and is feeling motivated to do it. But unlike you, they don't love to move. This all sounds tedious. Um, and they're, they're looking for ideas of just how to get started in a small way. What, what can this person do today to, to just start the process of, of learning to move more. Do you have any ideas? I've got two main things here. And the first is what you can do right away today. And you could even do the second today, but the second one builds out to where this is the long-term game. So the first thing, put a timer on, or if you want, you can do it on the hour, every hour. Stand up the best, the most ideal every 20 and 30 minutes. But if you're usually sitting two hours, standing up every hour is already a great place to start. Stand up and then tell yourself, have a little list of things that you're going to do. Maybe it's, I'm going to do a squat. Maybe it's, I'm going to go do the dishes. I'm going to go get some water, go to the restroom, get something from the printer, whatever it may be. You have a list so that you're not standing up and going, this is silly. Why am I standing up? I don't understand. You have a list. It's easy. And there you go. That's something you can do right now. And it's easy to implement. The second part is find something throughout your day, something small that you can now do not sitting. So you could maybe do it walking. I love pacing when I take phone calls. I've always loved to do that. That's just me. I, I think more clearly. 
Maybe it's standing up during one of your Zoom meetings. Maybe it's one where you don't have to have your camera on. And so great, it's that much easier for you to stand up and listen. And maybe you just do it for five or 10 minutes. But as you change that, that's what's really gonna hit the sitting less mark because you can add these little exercises of movement breaks all you want, but that's not gonna hit the large number of how much we're sitting. So as you transform some of your tasks to sitting less, that's what's gonna have the huge impact on your health. So making it easy, making it fun, um, getting uh, support and accountability from other people, those are all ways we can um, learn to move a little more and uh, sit a little less. And um, I think that uh, you've given us lots of interesting ideas. So um, tell us about where people can get your book, Sit Less. Absolutely. You can you can find it on Amazon. You can just type in Sit Less Stefan Zavalin uh, and it'll pop right up. It's got a beautiful purple cover, which is my favorite color. Um, if you are adverse to Amazon, it is also on Barnes and Noble. Um, you can find it there same way. Okay, well, I think it's a readable, helpful book. And um, so I encourage people if they're looking for a way to begin, that's a good way. Stefan, thank you so much for joining me today. I've learned some things and uh, I hope uh, we've um, inspired some people to get moving. I know as soon as we finish this conversation, I feel a great need to get up and move around. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Today we've been talking with Stefan Zavalin about why it's so important for you to get out of your chair and move around. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that sitting too much is really unhealthy. You can boost your health and your productivity by standing up and moving. Thanks for listening to Jazz About Work, and please come back soon. 